So as I conclude this message today, Making Choices Mindfully, this series that I began right after the new year, we're also concluding it with the same song that we began in that four slot, which if you've been around for a while, you probably recognize is the song that most closely ties intentionally to the message. Closer to find. Now, I have a connection with the Indigo Girls. Dan Salyers, who is Emily Salyers, one half of the Indigo Girls' father, has both a degree from Yale Divinity School and was a professor at Yale Divinity School about 25 years before I went to school there. So I consider that a connection. (laughs) But in fact, there may be a much more intimate connection, which is that when I was at Div School from 92 to 94, there was a myth, an urban legend And this was before the age of Snopes.com. If you've ever been there, where you can go, if you get that email every year that several people seem to forward to me in an absolute hurry, they're about to tax email. You ever get that one before? They're about to tax every single piece of email you send. Contact your congressperson. It's been around since like 1995, and it's never been true. So we couldn't quite decipher was this urban legend at Yale Divinity School true or not in this pre-internet era of 92 to 94, but this is what people came to believe, that one half of the indigo girls was conceived where I lived in the dormitories. (laughs) Not me personally, not like in the bed itself, but I mean, this is a religious school, so things like, you know, virgin births and mythological origins are, you know, interesting to people. Again, that's why an urban legend is fun, because it can't really be proved at all, and actually could be probably pretty much disproved, but no one is going to go up to Dan Salyers when he comes back to Yale Divinity School for a convocation one year and ask, so, was your daughter really conceived here at the Div School? I don't think anyone would actually do that. I think the other reason that people like to tell this story, this urban legend about the Indigo Girls, is that when I was in school there... The Indigo Girls were a really big band. I mean, they had sold a lot of records by this point. They'd been around since like 88, 89 or so. And I mean, they were a folk music group, and folk music groups don't tend to sell a lot of records. And so the connection with her and with the band was something that I think people took a little bit of pride in, urban legend aside. But I think there's a deeper reason as well, too, and I think it has everything to do with the song that we just sang, which is their most most well-known song, and also also their most theologically insightful song. This line particularly, the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. The less I seek my source for some definitive, that has an amazing, incredibly insightful spiritual pedigree that goes back thousands of years, east and west. I mean, we speak of it ourselves here at Wellsprings, in our DNA, one of our core beliefs, that we can experience God without being able to define God. The less I seek my source for some definitive definition, the closer I am to find. The book of Taoism, the I Ching, the book of changes, as I said, the first words in it, and I love any piece of writing that comes with a caveat right in its first line. The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Thich Nhat Hanh, 
in my favorite piece of non-theology theology. Living Buddha, Living Christ, his wonderful book, talks about the words, the pages, the effort, the breath that theologians have over the millennia spent, expended, talking about God, writing about God. And then Thich Nhat Hanh, for me, sums it all up in this way. A good theologian, he writes, says almost nothing about God. The notion or idea of God can keep us from touching the God that is love, is wisdom, the God that is non-fear. I love the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find, especially when I was in theology school, because I have a confession. I've spent a lot of years in school and tens of thousands of dollars And I learned to ask some good questions. But I never particularly found God in theology. I didn't find God there. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, now I have an answer as to why. Because God is not in the definition of God. The minute we begin to experience the kind of transcendence, real, deep, spiritual growth that comes when we develop our innermost capacities in this life, we recognize that one of the first things that has to fall, by definition, are our definitions. It's not that our definitions aren't any good. It's just that they are fingers pointing to a moon beyond themselves, saying, don't pay attention just to the words on the page. Don't pay attention to the definition, because the definition is just one part of reality. And if you put reality into a box, eventually you get a cell, and you put yourself right in it. The less I seek my source for some definitive. Why do I experience that as actually being closer to fine, not just giving up something and not just feeling terribly insecure and not just feeling vulnerable and worried that maybe I don't have a real theology or maybe I don't have any spiritual depth? Because this, because exactly what the song says. Closer to fine, because then we can experience real in-touchness with our lives. We're not putting any definition between ourselves and our experience, and we can face the holy and hidden heart of our lives and allow it to be present and allow us to be present with who we are and where we are and how we are. Intimacy with our lives. Connection. It allows us to make mindful choices, conscious choices. This past week on the 30-day spiritual practice challenge blog, I got a great articulation, received a great articulation from one of the commenters there about a closer-to-find sentiment. This person wrote, Suspending for the moment my judgment about any possible outcome, I am now engaging a much larger communication. Enabling others to expend their creativity, extend their creativity into my space. The world is opening. And I feel more alive. Let's face it, fellow adults. For most of us, we spend a lot of time focusing on the outcomes of things. 
When is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? When am I going to get this degree or that job? Or where am I going to lose this job? We spend a lot of time focusing on outcomes. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying recognize the cost when we are always putting our lives ahead of us. When because of outcomes we might feel ourselves very, very far from fine. So instead, perhaps, or alongside, perhaps, of focusing on outcomes, focusing on the success we hope to achieve, the places that we hope to be, all that we would hope to do, we could turn that word around. And we could just take those words from the end of hide-and-seek, a kid's game. Come out, come out wherever you are. To say that to ourselves, come out, come out wherever we are. Pay attention to life. Allow us to receive it. Whatever will be, whatever is, come out, come out wherever we are. There's a poem that's been kind of popular on the Internet for about the last, I would say, six or seven years. And it's called A Hopi Elder Speaks. I don't know how many of you might know this. And it probably is not, to be literally true, a Hopi elder speaking from that Native American tribe. But it was shared with me twice this past year. And I figured anything that I ask for that is at least twice shared with me, I better pay attention to it. It was shared with me by Pema Chodron at the retreat that I shared with her. I should say she shared with me last October when I was on sabbatical. And also by Dr. Diane Rabel who was my teacher for mindfulness and heads the mindfulness clinic at Jefferson University Health System. Both of them read this to us, and I'm going to share some of it with you now. A Hopi elder speaks. You have been telling the people, the elder said, that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. And there are things to be considered there is a river flowing now in our lives very fast. It is so great and so swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will try to cling to the shore. They will feel that they are torn apart and they will suffer greatly. Know that the river has its destination, yes. The elders say we must let go of the shore. Push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above water. And I say, see who is there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and our journey comes to a halt. Once that line and closer to find you help me take my life less seriously, it's only life after all. That's not diminishing life. That's just saying, let's ease up on ourselves every once in a while. Wouldn't that be kind of a good thing? Turn the flame down perhaps under our feet, take the pressure valve off of our heads. To help ourselves take our lives less seriously is not opposed to growth. It perhaps is the key to real deep flourishing. To enter into that river where the life is less defined. But that's where life is. Because life is not on the shore. Not forever. 
It's in the flow. The flow where there is real faith and real risk and where we move beyond our definitions. It can be scary, but it also has things wonderfully worth celebrating. I'm going to show you a little video right now. It's a video that some of you have actually shared with me via your Facebook page, and I really like it. It's about failure. Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca recording company who said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. If you've never failed, then you've never lived. That means you never left the side of the river. I'll share with you one of my least favorite definitions that people sometimes do use to define themselves. Failure is not an option. I cannot stand that one. If failure is not an option, do you know what also will not be an option for us? Learning. I mean, I don't think failure is better success, and God knows I would rather succeed than fail. But I have failed as much as I have succeeded. And sometimes the thing that comes with failure is at least it has woken me up to pay attention. I mean, I love that each of those names was famous and have succeeded, and so we can focus, take a little, whew, all right, they succeeded, it's okay. We can focus on the outcome. But we, to really understand that, we've got to put ourselves back in the situation where those famous folks were when they were failing. And to understand that that failure was essential and became essential to who they are. When we exit the riverside and enter into the flow of life, even if it's fast, even if sometimes we have to struggle to keep our heads up, we also know that what we are experiencing is the wisdom of uncertainty. Because where we experience the wisdom of uncertainty, there is experimentation. And where we experiment, we learn, and reality divulges itself to us. I mean, there's a real deep part of us as human beings. And there are very popular forms of spirituality that promise nothing but guarantees and absolutes. And which of us from time to time, and I certainly include myself in this, doesn't have that dream of total security? Doesn't have that dream that, ah, I'm really totally secure right now and everything's okay. And that moment where I catch myself doing that and falling into that daydreaming lack of connection, lack of being closer to fine, 
I step back and ask myself, does human flourishing really come about by way of security? And my answer is no. Human flourishing comes about by way of experiments and falling off bikes and getting back on the bike and falling off the bike and getting back on the bike and learning to ride even though we fail. I mean, one of the biggest injuries, self-inflicted human injuries to our world right now is the promise in religion specifically that we can give people total security. It is the form of fundamentalism that is much more than just religious systems. It is a dogma of the mind that shackles us, that closes us down, that locks us off, that actually turns other people into the people who aren't fine so we can feel fine about who we are. Fundamentalism through the promise of total security very often jeopardizes others and also will not let us see the fullness of our lives. This is why I think a closer to fine life is more wild and more precious and more miraculous than any life lived by rigid definitions ever could be. A closer to fine life is in touch. It is not an abstraction. It is not a theology about life. It is life itself, which then gives birth to any theology really worth the name. Now, I just talked about fundamentalism and all oh, you know, those fundamentalists, you know, they're... They, we don't know what quite what you know. We don't quite know what's going on with them. You know, they're the ones with the problems. Well, you know what? Our tradition has its own doctrines as well too. Our tradition has its own desires to define things before we enter reality. There is an old joke, very much at the expense of a certain kind of Unitarian Universalism that I believe is well past its prime. I believe we have lost the usage for this kind of Unitarian Universalism. And the joke goes like this, that in the afterlife, when we are just about to ascend into paradise, we will see two signs. Paradise, this direction. Discussion group about paradise, this direction. <laughs> and that the Unitarian Universalists pick the discussion group. Ugh. It's really easy for me to critique fundamentalism because it's not mine. But it is part of our tradition to want to stay in our heads and to want to have clear definitions before we enter reality. And that's a form of fundamentalism too. And it is not closer to fine. And it has kept this denomination small and meager and spiritually much less vital than it should be, and certainly much less spiritually vital than we are striving to be here at Wellsprings, where we say right up front, we can experience God without being able to define God, that the eternal Tao is not the Tao that can be written down. I mean, I have been deeply in touch with other people through discussion and through dialogue, but in touch is not primarily a discussion. It's a way of living our lives so that even discussions don't get lost in the words. When I think of in touch, this is what I think of. When I think of in touch, I think of the top of the Sistine Chapel. Just imagine we're seeing it right up there right now. Just look up. It's right there. Well, it's here too. In touch, that moment of creativity, that moment of creation... Moments where the fingers touch, where human and divine meet. A moment of possibility. 
A moment that is not done and finished. This isn't intended to be literalized. That's why they call it art. This moment is intended to call us back to being in touch with our own lives right here and right now. I love that the word contingent, you know that word contingent, it's the opposite of the absolute, the pure, the invulnerable. You know what the word contingent means in the Latin? It means this. Contingent means to touch. Contingent means to contact and to make contact with our lives. I mean, some of us, you, you know this recently in your lives. I mean, what's an amazingly joyous thing to, to, to contact, to hold a, a newborn baby? Who doesn't love to do that? I mean, yes, sometimes when they're screaming and squalling, I understand it's not easy. But, you know, maybe that's where you call on your friends and your family. Here, come hold the baby now. But to hold an infant, a newborn, talk about feeling in touch. And for those of us who have been blessed enough to be by the bedsides of our beloved and departing dying, to hold their hands, to be there, to be in touch. We know that the sacred is not far away, but is right here and right now. And I have never read a description of holding a newborn or holding a dying person's hand that comes anywhere close to the experience itself. A definition is merely a pointer finger back to our lives. I mean, hold your own hands right now. Hold a hand of someone close to you, whatever you want to do. I mean... Too often we reserve mentally these categories for the beginning and the end. The beginning of life, the end of life. But if we recognize that same capacity that falls in love and has our hearts broken by new life and by the end of life is right here and right now, we will be closer to fine. We will not just be looking forward to the outcomes of our lives, but we will be able to inhabit our lives, to be able to make choices mindfully, because the way that we begin making choices in a wise way is by knowing exactly where we are and being in touch with the miracle of this moment, not any miracle that is to come. Any change, any hope, any deep acceptance of ourselves comes first and foremost by letting go of our definitions and allowing ourselves to know and to love our lives. I think my most favorite, not definition, but poem about a closer defined way of living is one that I use in almost every funeral that I do, and if you've been around for a while, I've shared it with you before. It's from the writer Raymond Carver. The poem is called Late Fragment. Raymond Carver, who lived a lot of tough, dissolute years, and then pulled his act together and then found out he had cancer and was going to die in his 40s. And he did a little dialogue with himself, a closer to fine dialogue. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. I mean, that even so, you can fill in with your own struggles. 
with your own sadness and your own heartbreak? Did you get what you wanted from this life even so? And the poet answers, yes. And the poet asks, and what did you want? And the final answer, to call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on this earth. That is being in touch. It is entering a very different understanding of time from what we normally think. Normally we think of time as this. It's what the Greeks called chronos time. Logical, orderly, chronological. But closer to fine, time is different. It's what the Greeks called keros. And if it looks like anything, it looks like this, if you know that dally, <laughs> if you know that Salvador Dali. Time kind of melts away a little bit. And time opens up. And our rigid borders drop. And our definitions aren't worth all that much. Because in that moment, life is giving birth to us again. So at the conclusion of this New Year's message series, I hope you will know your source and simultaneously let go of your definitions of your source. I hope that you will live and all of us will live closer to fine as in touch as we can be, as in touch as we can be, and know that beyond all else, we are alive. Just stop and recognize that for a moment. All the things that had to happen so we could be here. There's no definition for that. There's only response. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, beyond our wildest imaginings of grace and awakening, of that enlivening truth that every moment is miracle or none are, may we allow ourselves to grow closer to that fineness that is already ours that knows there is a sense of time and timelessness bigger than the clock. Even with our, so many of our adult responsibilities of being on time and deadlines, may we fall back in love with this life, with ourselves, with each other, and with that spirit from which we come, the spirit that is here, and the spirit to which we will return. Amen.